has so much history. Doesn't it evoke the early years and learning to worship and, oh my gosh. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm recalling particular scenes with that song of where we were in particular moments, but I'm also noticing just in this moment, my breath slowed down. Yes. I, I settled, it was almost like I, I went down one gear a little slower, a little deeper, a little bit more present, yes. just even in that that little piece. Yes, yes. Your holy presence living in me. Friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast. John and Morgan in the studio this week and next. Coming back to the whole idea of the parable of the 10 bridesmaids, and we riffed a little bit on it in the past, but let me catch you up on that conversation. So in Matthew 24, Jesus describes the unique kinds of pressures that are going to come upon the human race, but particularly the friends of God in what we would call, you know, the last hours of this chapter of the story. As the story begins to really sweep towards its climax here at the end of the age, he riffs on, you know, losing heart, love growing cold, you know, crisis, trauma, this, that, and the other thing. And, and he's trying to prepare us for it. He's, he's not trying to be heavy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's compassionate. And he's saying, look, I, I want to prepare you for mm -hmm. this. So he says loving things like don't let your heart be weighed down. Don't be alarmed. Mm -hmm. Really kind and really important counsel yep. to us. Okay, so that's Matthew 24. And then going right on, you know, because there weren't chapter breaks in Jesus's teaching, <laughs> Matthew 25, he tells a story. And the story goes like this. In those days, meaning at that time on the earth, mm -hmm. okay, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. It will be like 10 bridesmaids. Oh, it's a wedding scene. Okay. 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were sensible or wise or shrewd or just smart, and five were foolish or dumb. The dumb ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. But the smart ones brought their lamps and oil in their flasks as well. Then, as the bridegroom was a very long time in coming, they all grew drowsy and fell asleep. But in the middle of the night, there came a shout, wake up, here comes the bridegroom. Out you go to meet him. Then up got the bridesmaids and attended their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, please give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Oh no, returned the smart ones. There might not be enough for all of us. Better go to the oil shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone off to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and those bridesmaids who were ready 
went in with him for the festivities, and the door was shut. Later on, the rest of the bridesmaids came and said, Oh, please, open the door for us. But the bridegroom replied, I tell you, I don't know you. So be on the alert, Jesus says, for you do not know the day or the time. So gang, you've heard us riff on what it's like to live at this time on the earth. And it's really fascinating because before the pandemic, before the whole, you know, blow up of the economy and the, you know, political tensions and all that, prior to all that, do you remember we started introducing the podcast with, hey, this is a really brutal time to be a human being, right? Maturity is not an option. Wholeheartedness is not an option. Do you remember we started? Oh, that was your idea before anything kind of blew up on a global scale. Yes, because prior to all of this, modern life was exhausting. Mm. If you just took what it required, what we considered to be a normal day right. was exhausting right. and draining and depleting. And so we were just sort of urging, hey, we, we really got to take care of our hearts and souls. We've got to take care of our life with God. And then the last two years roll through. Right. And not just on like a human scale of like, yeah, the pandemic's been really brutal in a lot of ways, but on a spiritual scale, this the, the forces of darkness that have really come upon the human heart have been very hard to resist. Things like hopelessness and despair or fear, you know, you see all that. So we think this story is the story for the hour. We think this is this is it. Like, pay attention, folks. And what's fascinating about this, Morgan, is God brought this to you several years ago, right? When he he kind of got your attention about this whole idea of oil and lamps. And yeah, which is wild and weird, right? Several years ago, I was in a prayer time and just kind of dialing in, going into a deep place and just listening in for God's heart and kind of what his, what his direction was. And he said, this season is Operation Lamp Oil. And I was like, what the heck is that? Like, <laughs> what? What did, I don't, well, lamp oil, you know, I yes. used to do a little lamp with kerosene oil with the kids reading books. And I mean, just no context, no orientation. But it's God, I think. So I just sat in it. And then I remembered this parable and revisited it, like had no current orientation to it. And I went to it. And over the course of that year, I spent more time in this parable than any other scripture. And yeah, John, you know, in Resilient, I love the way you describe this parable as unnerving. That word is just really poignant. It's unnerving. And you go on to say, perhaps Jesus intended for it to be so. And, and we could we could spend a lot of time because the layers and the depth and the curiosity and the unnerving nature of this parable, there's so much, but in the end, it's pretty mysterious. Like there are some real facts and there's a lot left up for exploration, right? There's a lot that's not said, but there are some treasures in here that are very orienting, I believe, and you believe for this day. Quick little side note, Resilient is a, is a book that's going to come out in June, everybody. Um, but 
the I team. I keep forgetting because we're living in it. I know. Like, the team oh. is going through it right now because, you know, we're in the final edits and we're talking about it and praying through it and stuff. So that's what that is. But yeah, I was talking about the unnerving nature of the story. And so what I want to ask you is why did God say that to you? What, what was going on in your life three years ago that he said, hey, Morgan, you need to pay attention to your oil, pal. Yeah, I, it's a great question. I think, I think maybe another way to say it was what I wasn't aware of that was going on in my life. In other words, a deep life in God, you know, my, the the centerpiece of my orientation, my interpretive grid is masculine initiation and becoming wholehearted and mature in my life in God. And so my worldview, the way I think, the way I see, um, the way I order my days. But John, I believe he was trying to illuminate something deeper and that oil being more than a worldview, that that oil actually was representing what I would name, and actually what Tozier, what I got from A.W. Tozier in The Pursuit of God is manifest presence. Of God. Of God, meaning there's something valuable in a belief system about God and aligning with the true nature of reality. But there's a whole nother depth beyond that to be immersed in God's life, to be in union where it's moment by moment, you are saturated with him. Yes. In other words, with his oil, that the oil through this parable, though this parable says many things, I believe one is that we actually have a, a responsibility and a sacred trust to cultivate the actual presence of God in our being. And it is available, but it, it's up to each individual human mm -hmm. being to cultivate mm -hmm. that. But it's actually the difference between life and death. It really is. It really is. So gang, what we're assuming is that the oil is God. Mm -hmm. The oil is the actual presence of God. Throughout the Old Testament and the New, the oil is quite often the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus is called the anointed one, right, to, to be the Messiah, is to yes. be the anointed one, he is anointed with the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. He is filled with the Spirit of God. And they would, you know, do the ceremonies and the when the king steps up to take up the kingdom mm -hmm. or when a new prophet or a new priest or whatever, you know, they'd anoint them with oil. Yes. And the idea there is to fulfill your function, you need God. Right. <laughs> you need to be anointed with, you need to be covered and saturated with the presence of God. So that's, right. if you just go oil equals the actual presence of God in my life. Right. Which, which actually is the source, right? The source of energy, the source of life. Like we are, we are not self creating beings. No, or self-sustaining. And I was thinking just now, as we were riffing, somehow the, we, we intuit this, we know this because we have expressions like, oh man, I am burning the candle at both yes. ends, right? Or we talk about people who are burnt out. Right. You go, I, whatever that resource is, I'm I'm fried yes. I, I, or I'm running through it, man. I'm, I'm burning the midnight oil. Right. Right. Okay. So we've got this idea in human nature, but then it made me think uh, of the 
C.S. Lewis passage where Lewis wrote this in in, uh, Mere Christianity. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. Right? So there it is. In the parable, you are the lamp, gang. Like you're the totality of your person, body, soul, spirit, what you are, this container, right? And I think everyone feels that fundamental sense of emptiness of I am an incomplete person. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I need God. I need God. And then the oil is the presence of God, obviously through the Holy Spirit in our lives, also the presence of our Father, Mm -hmm. of Jesus, the presence of the Trinity in our lives, sustaining us, energizing us, empowering us. And and friends, like this is a chance to just pause and and take some inventory because we're trying to offer, to return to this big idea, there's a distinction between salvation. We're not talking about that, right? Some moment of absolute transformation. We're talking about the ongoing moment by moment life in God and where that power comes from. Like I mentioned in Tozier, Pursuit of God, I I came upon this years ago and it wasn't until I was back in this parable of the oil and the 10 bridesmaids that that I really understood the depth of it. And, And I'll read it here from Pursuit of God where Tozier says, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same thing. There can be one without the other. Okay, you got it. You got to explain that. To okay. Me. So, big words, but it's actually a simple idea. You can have God like as a reality, right? My life is in God. I've given my life over to God. I trust him. I believe. Right? I believe. Yeah. I go to church. I But I, but what Tozer's saying is that's different than actually being with God in God, present, my being present to God's being. And and let me go on a little bit more because I think he unpacks it here. He says, God is here with us when we are wholly unaware of it, right? God is present, but he is manifest only when we are aware of his presence. So there's something in us Mm. that actually opens up to acknowledge God is here. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference over time of a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. Mm. In other words, when we go below just belief and ideas, right? Mm. The scriptures say have the mind of Christ and that's important, but that's insufficient to live a life that's robust well-being, that's saturated with goodness and peace. And Tozer's saying there's actually a way of experiencing life where we are actually aware of God. We are with God. We are accessing him, right? And we are actually allowing him to be the source. Yes. And so we don't run out of fuel. Yes. Okay. I'm cracking up because I want to tell a story, but I'm going to have to 
do it graciously. So there are certain denominations or movements or people within Christendom who really value the intellectual. They mm-hmm. really focus on excellent theology, you know, the historical roots, the background, the philosophy. And because that's a certain kind of person, they really enjoy that. They tend to kind of hang out together, yeah. right? And then they form like a denomination around that and the theology and that sort of thing. I remember Craig and I years ago, we, we used to go to some of those gatherings and you'd leave there and you go, it's really impressive mm-hmm. mentally, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't keep up with these guys. They know so much, but I actually don't want to go to dinner with them. Mm. I don't want to hang out with them. Mm. And that was the big flag for me. It's like, what's missing? Yes. And what's missing is God. Mm. <laughs> what, what was missing was the, what Tozier was saying is the manifest presence of God. Yes. God is always everywhere. You know, Paul says, in him, we live and move and have our being. Mm. Okay. Yes, he sustains all things, but to experience God, to be filled with God is a different story. Right. Right. And so you can know a ton. Right and be brilliant, or you can be a really dedicated and devoted servant who's just out there on the front lines of justice and reconciliation, but not have God. Yes. And so here's why we're saying this, gang. Here's why we're coming back to this, uh, repeatedly coming back to this in the podcast, is that the normal Christian life is filled with the presence of God. So you just want to say that again. Mm -hmm. Just kind of let that sink in. The normal Christian life, what what is offered to you through Jesus Christ is a life that is filled with the presence of God. And I'm going to steal something from Alan this morning. Our producer, uh, and obviously he's on the show a lot, But he walked in this morning and he said, whoa, I've been thinking about this whole thing of oil and the presence of God. I was reading Psalm 23, which nearly everyone knows Mm -hmm. that psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I I won't live bereft or lacking. He is is enough. And it goes on to say, leads me beside, you know, still waters, makes me lie down in green pastures. Mm -hmm. He restores my soul. Here's the passage Alan was pointing out, though. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And we're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. There it is. The oil is God. Mm-hmm. And he's describing an experience of being filled. He says, I, I, because of the presence of God in my life, I am well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm overflowing. I'm robust. And then you start going through you know, the, the New Testament promises. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am strengthened by the presence of God with me. And then Paul describing his own, you know, kind of apostolic work and his evangelism, you know, through the the Middle East at that time, through the Greco-Roman world. He says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom God's given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Okay? And then 
I love this version of Ephesians 1 in the message. And actually, you were, you were the person, Morgan, that brought my attention to this phrase. He says, that's why Paul's describing his prayers for the saints. He says, when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master, Jesus, and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks, but I do more than thank. I ask. I ask the God of our Master Jesus, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. And then Paul just kind of flows over. Mm -hmm. He goes, oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. Mm. What would it be like, right? You just pause and just linger in that. Me, 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 me. Yeah, I'll take it. Exactly. And you go, wait, there's only one person that has endless energy and boundless strength. And that's the living God. And he is making that available in our ordinary everyday life. And so the question is, right? Like, I want that. I need it. How do I get that? And Paul models it's it's available. It's That's possible. what's so hopeful, you keep, right? You keep shouting that it's possible. I remember my buddy Dan Allender said, God has rigged the world so that it cannot work without him, mm. which is why when you see nations trying to fix their problems without God, mm. you know, it usually gets worse. Mm. Somebody pays for that, mm. either through oppression yeah. or slavery or something. You know, when you build a pyramid, somebody's going to pay for that, yeah. right? And it's the slaves. Yeah. And, he says, God has rigged the world so that it cannot work, but primarily in our nature. Yes. We cannot work without the indwelling presence of God, mm. the oil. So that's that's what we're after mm. here. And I was reflecting on St. Patrick's breastplate, the prayer yes. that we love so much. Yes. Listen to how he opens his morning prayer. This is his, this is Patrick's morning prayer. I arise today through a mighty strength through the invocation of the Trinity, Mm. through belief in the threeness and confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. So he is, I think he's trying to tap in. Right, right. I want to want. Yes. Right? I'm I'm doing my best this morning to tap in. And so I'm just going to declare it. I'm going to declare it, invoke it, claim it, grasp it, believe it tap into, Mm. I arise today through a mighty strength, not my own, Mm. but the strength of the presence of the creator of this wonderful, fabulous world in me. Mm. So this is all by way of introduction, gang. This is why we're riffing on this, is we, we feel like this is the hour we're in, is that the human being is hard pressed and we're burning the candle. We're trying but we need to be conscious of how we are tapping into, are we tapping into the presence of God in our life? Are we cultivating oil? And I thought your observation the other day, Morgan, was really good. You said, well, just look at the fruit or the lack 
thereof. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you take something like peace, right? Was one of the examples you were using to me, right? You got peace, right? Well, it's because you have God. Mm-hmm. You got no peace because you ran out of oil, right? You ran out of the functional presence of God within your human being, right? Right. When you're in a situation where circumstances shift, you know, you get terrible news or a really bad outcome, and you find you lose your peace right? Peace is lost. Then you go, oh, wait, red flag, because my peace was meant to come from some abiding place that's unhinged from those circumstances or that Mm. outcome. Or I just notice in my own heart, John, in the fatigue, in the weariness, the temptations of things like just go to cynicism as some like self-protective mechanism, Mm -hmm. right? It's easier to be cynical than to be honest about the pain or simply shut down. Or to be hopeful. Or be hopeful, right? Much easier to be cynical. Way easier. Right? Or just like shut it down a couple notches. Like, Mm. and and you can sanctify it by saying it's lowering your expectations, but it's actually a shutting down of the heart. Mm. And I actually close myself up to hope. Mm by shutting down or, or even something. And again, like we're living in resilient, like friends, it's around the corner, but like you illuminate something that I just think is so important in this hour on the earth is there is a strategy and tactic of the moment in the age to keep us in the shallows, to keep good hearted saints warehoused in shallow things rather than in the Midlands and then down the depths where God exists yes. and where our being is meant to thrive. Yes. And so I just think of like those sorts of fruits of mm. going, okay, mm. I find that distraction and just divided attention just keeps me shallow far more than, than I'm made to be. And so all those things just point out to, oh, it's not about tinkering with my external life. Mm. What about the source? What about this boundless strength? And how do I get more of it? Yeah, that's good. So here's an example. So recently I was in um, Lectio 365, just a daily uh, meditation that uh, I do with a group of men. You know, John, you've talked about it on the podcast. Evening prayer I do with Sherry. It's a beautiful story recently when they are featuring stories of saints that have gone before us. And it was a woman, Amy Carmichael, in 1867. She was born in Northern Ireland. And she felt called to be a missionary at a very young age and served in Japan and Sri Lanka and then ended up in India. And, and what's so beautiful about this, like this is before intercontinental air travel. Like right? you don't get to Sri Lanka like because you're interested. It's months. Right. It, it's literally a life's commitment to go there. And she went for decades and focused her work on rescuing young women from prostitution, developed a community, and it became so holy, a sanctuary for thousands of children. Amy was a prolific writer, and she gave her life to that. She, she chose singleness mm. and gave her life to this work. So you just think of what it was like in that era to be a woman, to take that sort of risk and that sort of sacrifice. Okay, a single woman mm-hmm. in that era, in that country, rescuing prostituted women. Right. And not just rescuing them, but providing sanctuary. Totally. I mean, you know, 
where did she get the endless exactly. energy, boundless strength to do that? Exactly. And she's a pioneer, right? There aren't other people right. doing this. Right. And so what's fascinating in the devotion, it says that this was a prayer that she wrote. This is the overflow of the reservoir of her life. She said, blessed are the single-hearted, for they shall enjoy much peace. If you refuse to be hurried and pressed, if you stay your soul on God, mm. nothing can keep you from the clearness of spirit, which is life and peace. In that stillness, you will know what his will is. Mm. And John was just so moved by that idea mm. of staying your soul on God, right? In the midst of what I would project is so many setbacks, mm -hmm. so much loss, so mm -hmm. many stories that it didn't work, mm -hmm. right? Because we live in that. Yeah. We hear the, the stories of the tragedies and train wrecks, but she says, stay your soul mm -hmm. on God. Literally open your, your being to the oil of gladness, be immersed in God, and therefore nothing will keep you from clearness of spirit, of mm -hmm. life and peace, and you will know the will the Father. Hmm. So what we were reflecting on was that if your peace is easily taken, mm -hmm. you're probably running low on oil. Another way to say it would be if your hope is easily shaken, you're probably running low on oil. Paul in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you. There's the filling again. Mm. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I appreciate the kindness of that. Like it's the power of the spirit of God in us that allows us to be hopeful people and overflowing with hope, right? This isn't, again, something that you just... Be a better person. <laughs> that is mm -hmm. not the message. Right. It's not the Been message. Been there, done that, yeah. right? Doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. If you have oil and it's beginning to bubble up and increase in your life, you'll have hope. Mm -hmm. And so if, if your hope is hammered or easily taken from you, that's a helpful you know, warning light on mm -hmm. the dashboard that says, hey, take care of your oil and your hope will come back. Mm -hmm. Take care of the presence of God in your life. Cultivate the presence of God. And I was thinking about the condition of men and women who are serving Christ in this hour, particularly in church leadership. It, it is not well. Mm. Christianity Today came out with an article based on a Barna survey back in November that said 38% of pastors are seriously considering leaving the ministry up from 29% only like 10 months earlier than that. And to read from the article, it says, the change that has been accelerating in the last 18 months has left a lot of pastors with their heads spinning and their hearts spinning as well, said Barna's vice president of church engagement. All the chaos, all the pressure, the magnifying glass of social media, the pandemic, the politics, the hyper-digital context, just makes sense that you have a lot of pastors saying, is this really what I signed up for? Mm -hmm. And then you are talking to a friend of ours who's, you know, deep in the ministry and connected to a lot of pastors 
And he thought that was low. Oh yeah. He said, and I was bringing it to him kind of alarm, like, what are you doing to care for the oil, the manifest presence of God in your life? And he was like, Hey, I'm connected with hundreds of pastors. That statistic is way low. Like people are looking for any way out. And what's so sad is these are women and men called and anointed to shepherd God's people. Yeah, right. right? That's what they're supposed to be doing. But without the fuel, like they're they're left empty. And then when people come and bring needs, it just has taken such a toll. I really think this is our hour. That's why we keep kind of sounding this this alarm to it's the hour of the 10 bridesmaids and, and some run out of oil and some don't. And then, you know, just when you think, Hey, maybe the pandemic's, you know, ebbing, then Omicron rolls through and suddenly the kids got to stay home from school again and you miss work and it's just chaos again, right? right? It's just one more round, one, one, one more punch in the face. And, and then inflation hits. And now they're posting numbers of, you know, 7%, 8%, 9%, you know, CPI going up and people are already experiencing that. Oh, like right. My kids are telling me gas is killing me oh, right yeah. now or our, our utilities bill is killing me right oh, now. Oh, it skyrocketed last month. And, and even it's, it's so permeated that it catches you off guard, like the supply chain issues. You know, just yesterday, I read in a magazine and they're like, our magazine's late and it's half the length because we couldn't get paper. I mean, this is like Bugle, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. <laughs> you know, they've been producing magazines for 80 years. Like that's their thing. Can't is, find paper. Is they can't find paper. Paper, yeah. Right? So in inflation, if you look at like what are the big stressors of yeah. a human life, money is usually at the top of all yeah. those lists. You know, financial pressures yes. are like a huge source of stress. Well, that's going to fry your oil, right? I mean, it's just going to just burn it. Stop! <laughs> like, what happened? Right. I flamed out. So this is this is what human hearts and souls are having to navigate in this hour, and that's why. Here's the practical question we want to put before you. What are you doing each day to fill your tanks, to cultivate the presence of God within you? We, we got to do this, gang. Yeah. This, this is it. We need oil. We need to caretake. You're going to be the dumb ones or the smart ones. Mm-hmm. The dumb ones don't pay attention to the lack of oil. And the smart ones do. And they're like, look, I'm planning. Mm-hmm. I'm planning for this. I am intentionally making arrangements in my life to increase my, my oil, to increase the manifest, as Tozier would say, the actual experiential yes. presence of God. I got to yes. do that. Yep. I got to do that. So we're going to give you two things this week, and then we're going to pick up this conversation next week. So if I were to just say today, Morgan, just give people something. Yeah. What, what do you do to do that? Yeah. So before I share that, by way of intro to what I guess my one thing would be, I, I want to return to the parable for a moment because back to unnerving, right? Mm-hmm. All the time. There are, these, there are these pieces of it where you go, what's with that? Because, John, when I go to the parable, 10 bridesmaids, five have oil. Uh, they have a generous supply of it. Five have none. And then the ones that have none turn to the ones that have and say, can we have some of your oil? Yes. Fair question, right? Yeah, sure. And they say, no, get your own. 
Okay, and, and just pause there and you go, wait a second. Did, wasn't Jesus the one that was like, um, whatever you do for the least of my people, you do unto me and be generous and all that, right? Yes. And you go, why didn't they share? And and that that's really been hard for me, right, over time. But what struck me is in this story, this story is not about generosity. No. That's not what this story is about, right? No. But there is this insight and there is this, I guess I would name it as a sober truth. In the kingdom of God, some things are designed for personal responsibility, and there's just no other way. Well, I can't give you the abundance of God. I exactly. Have. You, I, I literally can't. You can live it that. out, right? It can shine through you. You can be a lamp, but you can't give me your oil. Any heartbroken parent knows this. Right. Where you desperately want either your younger children or your adult children, right. you know, in, in their bailing marriages, whatever, you just mm. so want them to walk mm. with God. If you could totally. give them a measure of the presence of God you have oh, into their life, you'd do it. Totally. But it, that's not how it works. Right. The individual has to go to God. You know, it takes me back, crusty old Jewish grandma, my dad's mom, Claire Rose, piece of work. And she was the most simple-minded person ever met. And my mom started growing in her faith and she would work on Claire Rose like, you know, you need God, Claire. Like you need a life. Like, do you want more of God? And, you know, and and Claire Rose would turn to my mom and she said, you know, Marianne, have you ever seen a mama duck with her little ducklings and they just follow behind her? She, I'll never forget this. I was a kid when this happened. She said, I'm kind of like one of your ducklings. I'm just going to follow you to heaven. And it was just this moment of the oil. It's like, that's a cute idea, but it doesn't work that doesn't way, work. right? It doesn't work. And so back to what you do every day, like this is a really sober moment because it is really the design, the nature of the kingdom of God is no one can do it for you. But the nature of his kindness, his extravagance is that he will meet each and every one of us in our particular season, in our particular condition, with our particular personality. And he will provide if we, we turn to it. And so for me, one example. Can, can I just pause on that? That is such a beautiful statement mm. because people compare their spiritual life to what they hear on this podcast. Mm. And we share stories of hearing from God or breakthroughs or inner healing or different things. And by comparison, you go, well, I must not have a life with God right. or, or a measure of God in my life. Right. But where you are, today, right now, yes. God will give you his presence. Right. Wherever you are. Completely available. Totally available. Yeah. Obviously, in lots of my teaching, Become Good Soil and Wild of Heart, I, I've referred to one of the strategies of the age is the, is the dividing and diffusing of our attention and our affection. Whatever it is, whatever the topic, whatever the context, if you just notice what's happened to our attention and our affection. You know, I love Dallas Willard once said, I don't know where he said this, but he said, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. Mm. And I think of that in my relationships right now in parenting, it begins with giving my attention, right? Whatever else I hope to accomplish. And so I think, John, for me, it's, it's this ongoing, honest inventory of what have I done 
with my attention and my affection? Where's it gone? Where am I spending it? And I just did this interesting exercise looking back over last year and said, where did my affection, like where was it primarily found over the last year? And what's fascinating is two things immediately surfaced, my son, Joshua, and adventures in wilderness, you know, mostly archery hunting. And I realized there was so much of my affection in those places because I am really enjoying parenting my son and I feel like I'm doing well at it. And it's going really well. Like it's a place to, where I derive joy and notice I'm not naming lots of other things like marriage or parenting daughters or places I'm screwing up tremendously. Yes. I gravitate towards where I feel good. Mm-hmm. And then wilderness is my escape valve, right? And it's a place where I actually feel known. I feel loved. I feel secure. I feel valued and validated. And just in my heart of hearts to know me, that's my happy place. And so I muse and dream and and strategize on ways to get out there more and more. But the point being is I did an inventory of my affection. Now, to be fair, more and more of my affection has turned to God over the years, but I'm noticing this diffusion and dividing of my affection and attention. And so it's a simple practice of how do I become aware of that and then collect it and give more back to God. And so just a simple example, I had an errand to run and was going on workout. So I had about an hour and a half block and I chose not to take my phone with me, even in my vehicle to get to where I was working out on this trail because I know where I'm at in my maturity or lack of, even having the phone in my vehicle has a sort of pull Mm. to be thinking Mm. about all the things I need to attend to. Mm -hmm. But what I need- Did you know students' grades drop one grade, like A to a B, B to a C, if their phone is simply in their backpack Mm. while they're taking the test? That is the power of distraction. Right, just knowing it's there. Right, is what it you're makes saying. sense, yeah. right? Because it's just the idea. It's the umbilical cord to the world. It is. It's connected. <laughs> and 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 here's the beauty of it is when I notice my body and how I feel differently when it's not in the vehicle. And so I'm driving, and all of a sudden, and this is where it's so important to become more aware. My attention is available to God, and my affections are turned to God. And even back to Saint Patrick's prayer. It's, I want to arise through a mighty strength, but I, in my, you know, unfinished and not yet have to start with, I want to want you, God. Yes. I want to want to love you. And so I'm available because my Mm. phone isn't screaming a hundred other things. Mm. And so my world isn't noisy. And so that's just a practical example of there are so many times I literally don't bring it in order to get to the recovery of attention and affection. In order to get his presence, which is your oil. Right. It's the fuel that you run on. And it's there. And in that moment, there's this infilling and I'm I'm literally a different person. Okay. We're right in sync because if I were to give one thing this week, one thing, gang, Take five minutes a day and love Jesus. This is so simple and nobody does it. Well, there are, I, I know a few people do it, but it's rare. You just take five minutes. 
Turn the podcast off when we're done here. If you're still in your commute or you're out on your walk or whatever, you just love God. Just love Jesus. I was thinking of the story that Henry Nouwen told years ago, the beautiful Catholic writer, teacher, priest who's with Jesus now. He said this, I remember I was visiting Mother Teresa in Rome. Everyone wanted to talk to her, and I wanted to see her too. I went there as I had some problems. I had some personal struggles, quite a few actually, and I wanted to ask Mother Teresa how to deal with that. I brought all my stuff to her. I talked for about 15 minutes. I just talked about all my problems. And then she looked at me and said, Well, Father, if you spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything that you know is wrong, you'll be fine. Mm. <laughs> now it goes on to say, I was stopped <laughs> in my tracks. Mm. Obviously, she didn't say anything that I didn't know, but suddenly it hit me as so true and so coming from the right place that that little word was enough for me. Mm. All right, now, what stopped me in my tracks when I read that was an hour <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> an hour simply loving Jesus? I could either go to despair, yes, shame, yes, guilt, self-reproach, failure, or, or I just caught myself in the moment and said, okay, I get it. I understand that. I'm not there right now, mm -hmm. but I can start. I love the idea of daily loving Jesus, just like intentionally, deliberately, not while I'm listening, you know, to something yes. or reading something or studying, just I give you my attention, yes, so I can give you my affection, mm -hmm. Jesus. So I, here's what you could do, gang: is you just every day for a couple of minutes, just love God, love Jesus. Just I love you, I love you for sunshine. Thank you for sunshine, God. I love you for snow. I love you for the ocean. You can just start going. I, oh, I love you for the way you answered my grandmother's prayers last week. All right. I love you, God, for the beauty of your character, Jesus. I love you for who you are. You just love him. Just take a few minutes every day to do this. It will mm. increase your oil. Mm because it will open your soul to the manifest presence of God. Mm -hmm. And then you get to be nourished by that. John, it's really helpful to hear you actually uh, model practical ways of loving Jesus, because as you share that, in my mind, sometimes I can get stuck mentally with loving Jesus or adoration of our Lord, but I love hearing you say very practically, oh, thank you, God. I love you for the sunshine. Yes. So that's just so accessible yeah. and so hopeful. Back next week with more, gang.